1: And away we go, episode two hundred fifty-seven of the Algaldi podcast. It is Wednesday, February twenty-third, two thousand twenty-two. We are still recovering from all of the celebrating of the one-year anniversary of this podcast. We gotta hydrate, gotta drink lots of water, maybe even some Gatorade. Uh, but we should be okay. Good to have you with us. Thank you for all of the nice messages regarding. The one-year anniversary of this podcast, 2.22.22, ended up being a very nice day. And we now begin year two of the Al Galdi podcast. And we begin year two with the end of a controversy for our commanders. The end of the crest controversy for our commanders. You see, the one-year anniversary of the podcast brought us peace brought us resolution, brought us together. The commanders on Tuesday afternoon announcing that they have fixed the crest. The commanders have done what is best for the crest uh, as they now on the crest have as the years commemorating the Redskins three Super Bowl titles, 1982, 1987, and 1991, not 1983, 1988, in 1992, one of the most needless and bizarre sagas in franchise history is over. Thankfully, mercifully, uh, I'll give you my thoughts next segment. Special guest on the show, Pro Football Focus analyst Ben Lindsay, the editor of the 2022 Pro Football Focus QB Annual, which is not just a book, it is a tome uh, on NFL quarterbacks. A 441-page book on the 36 quarterbacks who played meaningful roles in NFL teams' on-field performances during the 2021 NFL season. If you are into analytics, if you are into PFF data, this book is tremendous. Ben put the book together, and so we're going to talk about various potential quarterback targets for our commanders, our franchise quarterback needy commanders uh, this offseason. Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Carson Wentz, Mitchell Trubisky will also hit on some other quarterback-related items with Ben. Now, I mentioned Russell Wilson. Do we now have yet another clue that he wants out from the Seattle Seahawks and perhaps wants to be traded to the commanders? Well, this potential clue has to do with the photo in Russell Wilson's Twitter profile. So maybe we have a clue. Maybe we don't have a clue. But there's a larger point that I want to get into regarding Russell Wilson and the commanders. And the point has to do with the offensive line. A problem for Wilson with the Seahawks has been their offensive line, including the Seahawks not spending big money On the offensive line, might this be something that the commanders can exploit? And if the commanders did trade for Wilson, might that cause that which right now seems improbable to actually happen? The commanders re signing Brandon Sheriff. I said, Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff. Thank you, Commissioner. Yes, Brandon Scherf, that guy. He's set to be an unrestricted free agent, and God willing, the team now known as the Commanders will not be franchise tagging Brandon Scherf this offseason. I'm going to discuss all of this later in the show. You can tweet me at @algaldi. You can email me the algaldi podcast at yahoo.com. So, regarding the Commanders crest controversy, uh, prior to Tuesday's announcement from the Commanders, we did have indications that the team had corrected the crest. Uh, my thanks to Matt H for tweeting me an updated and corrected Commanders crest that has as the years honoring the franchise's three Super Bowl titles, 1982, 1987, and 1991. Matt tweeted me a photo of a corrected crest from the Commander's recent Seat relocation event. Uh, regarding the Crest, email from Andy. Now, this email was from before the team corrected the Crest. Wrote Andy, I, like many fans and John Riggins, have felt disenfranchised from Washington as a result of the name change. I do not like the name Commanders, but I could get used to it. What I cannot stand, however, is the obvious error. On the team crest. It's just such a dumb mistake and is emblematic of the juvenile way the franchise has been run during the Dan Snyder era. I wanted to do what I could as a fan of over 50 years to take back a small piece of control and start a movement to get the crest fixed and make the team hear the voice of the true fans. To that end, I created AddressTheCrest.com. Well, thank you for the email, Andy, and it would seem as if AddressTheCrest.com has worked, has served its purpose. So congrats to you. Uh, Email from Dave on the crest. Writes, Dave, big fan of the show since my move to Columbus, Ohio, not long ago. Your podcast is one of the few things that helps me still feel connected to my beloved DMV sports teams. Love hearing that theme music as I pull out of my driveway. Every morning. Well, thank you, Dave. Continues, Dave. I absolutely loathe the name Commanders, but just about everything that can be said about the name has been said. This crest issue, though, is the one thing that I can't get over. I value and appreciate the history of Washington football as much as anyone, but this crest really couldn't have been done any worse. And not just because the team got the years wrong. Can you name one other North American? professional sports franchise of the big four sports that has anything like this crest. I can't. When you put the years of your titles on a crest, that's on clothing and merchandise, you box yourself in. What if somehow Dan Snyder gets pushed out and the team wins five Super Bowls over the next 10 years and becomes the next great NFL dynasty? Are you going to change the crest every single year and force people to buy new gear so they're wearing the most current version of the gear? Are you even going to have enough room on the crest to be able to add all of the years? Are you going to petition the NFL for a logo change every year? Are you going to make Nike manufacture new updated jerseys every year? You'd also have to change the crest everywhere it can be seen in the stadium, which costs money. Obviously, the team isn't going anywhere and should still be around in 100 years. What if the team wins another 10 or 20 titles by then? By making this crest, you've basically dated it yourselves and said, look at what we did back then, period. Where's the part of this crest that says, but we're not done yet or more to come? Well, thank you for the email, Dave. Yeah, I'm not sure what would happen with the crest <laughs> if the commanders won another 10 or 20 Super Bowl titles. That would be a nice problem to have, though, finding room on the crest for 10 or 20 additional Super Bowl championships for our commanders. No, I hear you. I mean, personally, I like the crest. It's something different. And if it has to be updated at some point, great. Okay, that'll mean that something glorious has happened. I mean, it's not unlike when your team wins a conference or league championship and you get a shirt or a sweatshirt or a hat commemorating that conference or league championship. And then your team goes on to win the next round. You know, like anyone who bought Capitals Eastern Conference Championship merch in 2018, or anyone who bought Nationals National League Championship merch in 2019. Like, yeah, the merch becomes outdated because the Caps in 18 went on to win the Stanley Cup Championship, the Nats in 19 went on to win the World Series championship. But to me, it's not like that merch is rendered meaningless. I mean, if you buy something with the Commander's crest and then the Commander's win another Super Bowl, I don't think that makes what you bought with the crest before that next Super Bowl title meaningless or makes you a laughing stock, but I hear you I mean again let's win another Super Bowl first okay heck let's have a winning season for the first time since the 2016 season and then worry about having to update the crest uh email from Ed Bowen on Jason Wright Dan Snyder and the rollout of the name Commanders Wright said I like Jason and I genuinely want him to succeed I really really do we all do He's a likable guy, but nothing in what I've seen from him indicates he has the toolkit for crafting a brand. That doesn't mean a coherent and professional brand can't be crafted under him, but it does mean it can't be crafted by him or Dan for that matter. Galdi, when crafting a brand and a new culture, the first thing to do is ask the question, what are the qualities of a commander? that should be attributed and described to the product and NFL franchise. What are the words? It wouldn't take long to come up with words like leadership, honor, heroism, valor, and bravery. Those words become the soul of the franchise, desperately in need of an identity. Those words need to be breathed into everything the organization Puts out to the public, including the logo, the word mark, the uniforms, the brand rolled out, every public address, press release, and social media post, and lest we forget, the stadium experience, wherever the stadium is. You announce the new name by saying something like, We begin a new chapter that honors all those who bravely fight for old DC. From this day forward, our heroes will take to the battlefield as the Washington Commanders. You don't say, What's the name, Doug? (laughs) Most importantly, Galdi, those words, honor, leadership, heroism, valor, bravery, help shape the culture to which Ron Rivera constantly refers. The more Jason puts those words into his mouth and the mouths of everyone else in Ashburn, the more it will change the public perception of the franchise and the perception the team has of itself. The DeShazer-Everett situation is handled differently by those commanders. The Dwayne Haskins fiasco isn't repeated by those commanders. But there is no end to the drama, dysfunction, and disarray if you can't start by crafting a coherent brand and identity. It has to start there. And Galdi, Jason just plain effed it up, and now we're arguing over Roman numerals on a stupid crest that has nothing to do with football, the NFL, or anything else relevant to this franchise. It is so incredibly frustrating. Thank you for the email, Ed. Uh, it is incredibly frustrating. Uh, that announcement of the name Commanders that you had in your email, that was so much better than what the actual announcement of the name Commanders was.
0: Let's not, like, make... Folks, wait. Let's not drag it out, Jason. What's the uh, what is the new team name? Doug, What is it? We are the commanders. <laughs> we are the commanders, the commanders, the Washington commanders. That's right. Uh, oh, wow. You don't waste any time there. There it is.
1: Yes. And there it is. Uh, well, honor, leadership, heroism and valor. They are wonderful things. Hopefully someday we can talk about all of those things as being exhibited by our commanders. In the meantime, we do have those things being exhibited by the law firm of Paulson & Nace. Paulson & Nace is a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wrong. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. Paulson and Nace offers fierce advocacy on behalf of medical malpractice, birth injury, and personal injury victims throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace, 202-902-7611. If you think that you may have a case, contact Paulson and Nace, 202-902-7611. Chris and Matt Nace are outstanding at what they do. They're great guys. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. And know that Paulson and Nace can help you get back money if you own or run a Washington, D.C.-based or a West Virginia based business, and your business has been impacted by the COVID 19 pandemic. Paulson and NACE can help you with your business insurance policy. A business insurance policy is meant to reimburse you for losses incurred in catastrophes like fires or burglaries, but business insurance also includes business interruption insurance. And with the COVID 19 pandemic and resulting restrictions, there may be legal options available to you to recoup your losses. Contact Paulson and NACE. To find out more, the attorneys at Paulson and Ace can help you review your business insurance policy. Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you, but see what Paulson and Nace can do for you. 202-902-7611. 1-1. One, one. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Up next, the end of the Commander's Crest controversy. Does the team deserve credit for doing what is best for the Crest? I'll get to that and much more after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
1: So we now can put to rest the controversy of the Commander's Crest. Uh, one of the most unnecessary and absurd controversies in the history of the Redskins Washington football team slash commanders, thankfully, mercifully, ended on Tuesday. Uh, at least I'm pretty sure that the controversy ended. The controversy did end, didn't it? It better have ended. Uh, it best not be in jest, that we are putting to rest the controversy of the Commander's Crest. What a pest. And I say this with zest. I keep going, but I'll stop. Uh, those are your rhyming keys for the Commander's Crest controversy. <laughs> anyway, the Commanders, uh, they on Tuesday afternoon put out a tweet that included the following. Quote, we heard you loud and clear. Going forward, our crest will reflect our Super Bowl victories using the year from that regular season. End quote. And then beneath those words was a photo of a corrected commander's crest with the NFL title slash Super Bowl championship years of 1937, 1942, 1982, 1987, and 1991. Yes, no longer are the final three years, 1983, 1988, and 1992 the final 3 years now are 1982 1987 and 1991 hallelujah oh. Yes, exactly. Hallelujah. I mean, was that so hard? Was that so difficult? Uh, I am not going to go nuts praising the team for fixing something that should have never been broken to begin with. I'm not going to go crazy commending the commanders for correcting something that should have never been incorrect to begin with. But I will say this better late than never. And I can respect the fact that the team ultimately is getting this right. Should have been right all along, never should have been wrong to begin with, but it wasn't right all along. It was wrong to begin with, and so better to eventually get it right than to never get it right. But let's remember a few things about this Commander's Crest controversy. The first thing to remember is that there was no good argument for 1983, 1988, and 1992 over 1982, 1987, and 1991. Of course, the five years on the crest are meant to commemorate the franchise's two NFL title seasons and three Super Bowl title seasons. Yes, the three Super Bowls that the Redskins won were played in the calendar years of 1983, 1988, and 1992. We all get that, but the way that things work in the NFL, and there is no debating this, is that you refer to teams as being of the year's Of those teams' regular seasons. Everybody knows this. Everybody does this. If you don't like this, fine. But this is the way that things are done and have been done for decades. Wanting to do the Super Bowl championship years on the crest as the calendar years in which the Skins won their Super Bowls was odd, was strange, was weird. I mean, nobody, and I mean, nobody refers to those teams that way. Every true Redskinslash Washington football team slash Commanders fan knows that the three Super Bowl winning teams in franchise history are 1982, 1987, and 1991. When you ask or get asked what were the three Skins teams that won Super Bowl titles, the answer unequivocally, indisputably is 1982, 1987, and 1991. End of story. Why the team initially went with 1983, 1988, and in 1992, on the crest. I do not know. Uh, either someone overthought this and for some reason got sucked into thinking that the calendar years of the franchise's Super Bowl titles mattered more than the traditional way of referring to those teams, or someone who isn't a true fan of the team or has limited knowledge of the team put together the crest. The second thing to remember about the Commanders crest controversy is that the team didn't just realize that people were angry and then make the change. The team didn't just realize that the team was wrong and then make the change. No, the team tried to weasel its way out of admitting a mistake before making the change and technically still hasn't admitted to making a mistake. Note the exact wording of that tweet on Tuesday afternoon. We heard you loud and clear going forward Our crest will reflect our Super Bowl victories using the year from that regular season. And quote, we heard you loud and clear. You know, you could interpret that as you guys whined and complained. And so now we are appeasing you. You know, Uh, you could take that as not being we were wrong. Now we're making this right. There is a difference between saying we heard you loud and clear and we were wrong. Now we're making this right. But whatever. Also, remember, Commanders insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com last Thursday reported that the Commanders and the NFL were at odds over the crest. The Commanders wanted to replace the years 1983, 1988, and 1992 with the Roman numerals for the Super Bowls that the Skins won, Super Bowls 17, 22, and 26, but the NFL would not allow the commanders to do this wrote michael quote according to a source the team tweaked the crest changing the years to the roman numerals of the game however all changes to logos and team identities have to be presented to the nfl for league approval and the nfl declined washington's request that's left washington in limbo as it works on how best to present its new merchandise to fans a person with knowledge of the situation said the team is still brainstorming ways to tweak the crest to reflect the fan feedback that has been received. End quote. Uh, There was no brainstorming needed. Just put the right years in terms of the Super Bowl championship years and you were good to go. And thankfully, the team ultimately decided to put the right years to reflect the correct Super Bowl championship years. But, you know, you think about this, if the NFL had not denied the commander's usage of the Super Bowl Roman numerals, it may well be that we on the crest would have the Roman numerals for Super Bowl 17, 22, and 26, and not the years 1982, 1987, and 1991. Now, I know that some people were totally fine with the Super Bowl Roman numerals as opposed to those years of 82, 87, and 91. All of this is subjective. I personally, though, was not fine with the Super Bowl Roman numerals. I wanted years, correct years, on the crest. You know, keep things uniform. We already had 1937 and 1942, so continue that motif with the correct Super Bowl championship years. Not a bunch of Roman numerals. By the way, the NFL needs to stop using... Roman numerals for Super Bowls. The Roman numerals for Super Bowls have become obnoxious, okay? Just go with regular numbers like the UFC does, okay? UFC 205, UFC 235. Just go with the numbers, the regular numerals, the Arabic numerals. This Super Bowl L stuff is ridiculous, okay? And looks awkward. Super Bowl LIV, Super Bowl LVI. I mean, it's bizarre, You know, when we were rolling with a bunch of X's, that was cool. You know, Super Bowl XXII, because the letter X has this, like, bad guy cool vibe. But L is very dainty to me. You know, L is like, oh, look at me. I'm the letter L. That's the first letter in the word love. You know, that's not what the Super Bowl should be aiming for right there. But yeah, the commanders didn't just change to the right years. The commanders tried for the Super Bowl Roman numerals. And then, as perhaps a last resort (laughs) went to the right years. And then a third thing to remember about the Commander's Crest controversy is that this was an antagonizing of longtime fans that came at the worst time possible. So the Crest officially came out on the day on which the name Commander's officially came out, February 2nd. Uh, That day was not a great day for the franchise for many reasons, but one of them was that that day felt like the true death of the name Redskins. Uh, For a lot, and I mean a lot of longtime fans of the team, February 2nd was a bad day, principally because of the day feeling like the death of the name Redskins. People were and are sad. People were and are mad. The truth is there still are a lot of people who believe that the name of the team should still be Redskins. Uh, As I have said, I have major questions about whether the name of the team should still be Redskins. You know, there's a Native American group called the Native Americans Guardians Association that is furious over the name of the team no longer being Redskins. Nobody seems to care what those Native Americans have to say. But the point is, with all of these negative feelings about the name change from at least a sizable portion of the fan base, if not a majority of the fan base, we got this like giant FU to this portion of the fan base. And the team telling the fan base, no, you're wrong about how we should refer to our Super Bowl championship teams. The proper way is to say 1983, 1988, and 1992, not 1982, 1987, and 1991. Do you know how much this ticked people off? This is like you just stole a person's wallet and then came running back to give that person the double middle finger right to his or her face, okay? You can't make this stuff up. So like I said, better late than never. I'm glad that the commanders switched to the proper years. I'm glad that the commanders ultimately did what is best for the crest. But don't ever forget the specifics of this controversy because the specifics matter, even though this whole controversy was one of the most ridiculous things that we've had with our team. Up next, our special guest, Pro Football Focus analyst, Ben Lindsay, the editor of the 2022 Pro Football Focus QB Annual. Uh, Ben will provide in-depth, high-level analysis of a number of potential quarterback targets for the Commanders this offseason. Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Carson Wentz, Mitchell Trubisky. Also, Ben will get into how the Commanders should be approaching the quarterback position in today's NFL. My chat with Ben is straight ahead. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that is preventing you from achieving your goals? You or someone you love falling into depression or struggling with anxiety can keep you from what you care about. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now, understand, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. BetterHelp is not self-help. BetterHelp is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp is convenient. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist from whom you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You deserve that. And so here's a special offer. Go to betterhelp.com Galdi. That's better, com slash Galdi, G-A-L-D-I, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You'll get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp just by going to betterhelp.com slash That's betterhelp.com slash and get 10% off your first month. So many people have been helped by the great therapists at BetterHelp. How about this from a client on a therapist named Mary Allen? Quote, since I've worked with Mary, I've seen so many positive changes in daily life. I always look forward to our conversations because I feel so supported and Mary always has great ideas and solutions for me end quote. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that BetterHelp is actually recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Look, we all know people who have struggled with mental health. Perhaps you yourself have struggled with mental health. There's no shame. Those days are done. So many athletes have dealt with mental health difficulties. Take control of your mental health. You deserve to be happy. Go to betterhelp.com slash That's betterhelp.com slash All right. Let's talk quarterbacks. uh, As you may have heard, our commanders are looking for a franchise quarterback. This podcast is for Wednesday, February 23rd. It is on Wednesday, March 16th that the NFL's new league year will begin at 4 p.m. Eastern. So three weeks from today is the start of the new NFL year, which means the starts of free agency and trades. Although free agency truly gets going with the legal tampering period. That'll begin on Monday, March 14th. At noon Eastern. But the point is, the NFL offseason is here. And if the commanders are going to make a big move at quarterback prior to the 2022 NFL draft, that big move is coming in the next few weeks. And so I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now Pro Football Focus analyst Ben Lindsay. He is the editor of the 2022 Pro Football Focus QB Annual, which essentially is the analytics bible. For NFL quarterbacks, Uh, this is a comprehensive look at 36 quarterbacks who played meaningful roles in NFL teams' on-field performances during the 2021 NFL season. Uh, You can get the 2022 Pro Football Focus QB Annual at pff.com by being an Edge or Elite subscriber to Pro Football Focus. Ben, it's nice to talk to you. Congrats on the QB Annual. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. Uh, Thanks for having me on. It's good to actually start talking about the annual instead of just putting it together.
1: Yeah, very nice. Uh, I can only imagine what it's like combing through all of the data that you guys possess at Pro Football Focus to put something like this QB annual together. When you're putting together a breakdown of a quarterback, like where do you start? How do you go about sorting through the data?
2: Yeah, luckily I I had some stuff to work off of from previous um, quarterback annuals. I have to shout out George Chihori, um who's done a lot of work on it in the past. So it's kind of just looking at past versions, uh, how a quarterback performs in certain facets, clean pocket pressure on, on the, against the Blitz uh, in the red zone, how accurate they were, and sort of just piecing those pieces together, what's the most important, um, and sort of what do the people want to know, uh, and trying to make it fit in a, in a reasonable amount of pages.
1: All right. Well, I wanted to have you on to get your perspectives on various potential quarterback targets for the commanders this offseason. So the guy who has come up the most is the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson. It was funny, PFF Bet on Monday morning actually tweeted out that betonline.ag had Wilson at plus 2,000 to be the commander's next quarterback. Putting aside the actual likelihood of the Seahawks trading Wilson, There are some Commanders fans who say that Wilson isn't what it used to be and is on the downside of his career and thus isn't worth giving up a bunch of assets for in a trade. Is this an accurate assessment given what you found in your research? I mean, I will concede Russell Wilson for the 2021 regular season ranking just 34th out of 36 qualified quarterbacks in PFF passing grade is concerning.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no question that Wilson struggled last year. Um, but it's tough to sort of piece together how much of that is him actually being on the decline and how much of it was just injury related. Uh, because if you look at his numbers before he went out with an injury, he was playing well. Um, so I think it did impact him when, with him coming back, potentially coming back too soon um, with, with sort of how he plays. I think in terms of his fit with Washington, I do like it if he's available with the trade. Um, in terms of where they ran a lot of their routes, if you go to the Heineke section, sort of those hot zones, 15-plus yards downfield, uh, up the numbers. Wilson's one of the best deep ball passers in the NFL, and that's an area where Washington really struggled last year with Heineke. So if he's available, I don't think teams should overreact to a couple weeks' bad play at the end of last season. I don't think he's in sort of the decline of his career. I think he's still got some good years left.
1: And it's worth a few high picks uh, if Seattle does decide to trade him. Why was Russell Wilson's 2021 passing grade so bad? What went into that passing grade being as bad as the passing grade ended up being?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it was, uh, a big part of it was, he'd only been really good throughout his career. Um, uh, of that downfield accuracy, of limiting turnover plays, um, and he was still decent, uh, last season, but it's not quite as good as he has been in years past, especially with the accuracy. Um, so I, I think those areas are sort of, sort of where you saw him take the hit and he's never been a guy who's going to take, um, those, those throws over the middle of the field. Uh, it's some people point out his height and it's that's sort of an area where he doesn't see the field as well. I think it's just a stylistic thing where he always pushes the ball outside the numbers. Um, So if if you are a little bit off with that injury or whatever it is, um, those throws are are more difficult to make consistently. And I think we saw a little bit of that this year.
1: So we don't know if the Seahawks will end up trading Russell Wilson. We do know, though, that the San Francisco 49ers will be trading Jimmy Garoppolo. The PFF data on Garoppolo is so interesting. Uh, Garoppolo in the 2021 season for PFF had just 10 big-time throws compared to to 23 turnover worthy plays. Obviously, a bad ratio, but Garoppolo in the 2021 regular season also had some really good stats, uh, some very good result stats. He among qualified NFL quarterbacks finished the 2021 regular season at number one in yards per completion, number two in yards per pass attempt, and number six in completion percentage. Uh, PFF really has illuminated the importance of process stats over result stats. That said, Uh, Do those results stats carry any significant weight or should we as Commanders fans be steering clear of trading for Garoppolo given the bad process stats?
2: Yeah, Garoppolo is so interesting because of of that. Uh, He's put up really good um, sort of basic numbers in that Kyle Shanahan offense in terms of yards per attempt, um, EPA per play, sort of whatever you want to look at. He's had success. Um, but then some of the underlying numbers, like the big-time throws, the turnover he plays, he's among the worst quarterbacks in the league. I think what he does a good job of is I think he's accurate um, in sort of that underneath range. He gives receivers yak opportunities. Um, but if you're putting him behind an offensive line that has any holes uh, in a scheme where the receivers aren't running open, It could get ugly pretty fast, just based off how much he struggled under pressure last year. And you saw that in that NFC Championship game against the Rams. And that last drive when he needed to make a play, and get Aaron Donald and Von Miller breathing down his neck, it just looked like there was no chance at all that he was going to do anything. Um, So he's a guy we've seen can have success when things are in place around him. Um, But if things break down, it, it could be ugly. So any team looking to trade for him,
1: I think, has to have a pretty strong supporting cast in place. Carson Wentz, so he tormented Washington during his time with the Philadelphia Eagles. That the Indianapolis Colts may be trading Wentz or even cutting Wentz just one year after giving up what ended up being a 2022 first-round pick and a 2021 third-round pick for Wentz is a massive red flag, Uh, especially considering that Wentz's former offensive coordinator with the Eagles, Frank Reich, is the Colts' head coach. We also, of course, have that horrendous Week 18 performance by Wentz in that stunning Colts loss at the Jacksonville Jaguars. That said, uh, Wentz did finish the 2021 regular season ninth among qualified quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR. What do you make of where we are with Carson Wentz?
2: Yeah, I think Wentz, this season in Indianapolis, and sort of his inability to turn things around more than he did going back with Frank Reich, I think it's tough to rely on him as a viable starter moving forward. Um, And a lot of it is the decision-making. You really saw that in 2020 with the Eagles in terms of just putting the ball in harm's way, um, making bad reads. Uh, He wasn't all that accurate. And then you get to 2021 with the Colts. It wasn't quite as bad as that. He had more talent around him. Um, But you still saw those really bad mistakes that a guy who's entering his... uh, sixth season, whatever it is. um, He just shouldn't be making those mistakes at this stage of his career. Uh, And I don't know if that's ever going to change
1: at this point. We're talking potential quarterback targets for the Commanders in the 2022 NFL offseason with Pro Football Focus analyst Ben Lindsey. He is the editor of the 2022 Pro Football Focus QB Annual So I know that Mitchell Trubisky wasn't among the 36 quarterbacks who played meaningful roles in NFL teams on field performances during the 2021 NFL season and thus isn't a part of the annual. But Trubisky is a guy who has come up a lot for the commanders. They reportedly were interested in him last offseason. Then again, prior to the 2021 NFL trade deadline. Do you think that Trubisky possesses a Ryan Tannehill like upside in that Trubisky could do well in his second act as a starting quarterback, off, yes, having not worked out as a first-round pick in his first act as a starting quarterback. I mean, Trubisky, like Tannehill, did have his moments in that first act as an NFL starting quarterback. There was some modest success. Do you think that there exists within Mitchell Trubisky the potential to have a Ryan Tannehill, Tennessee Titans-like run in an act two as a starting quarterback in the NFL?
2: Yeah, I think Trubisky going to Buffalo was a good move on his part because now we're a year removed um, from Chicago, and I think teams are going to talk themselves into going after a guy like Trubisky um, because he's still young, because he's a first-round pick. He, there might be some upside there. I just don't really see it. Um, e- even in those Chicago years where they had some success, 2018, um, we, we graded him lower than his box score stats than his results uh said he performed um so, so he's a guy who we thought was helped out with a little bit of luck a little bit of scheme there with matt Nagy. um to uh, sort of gone the other way in terms of play calling in recent years um but i just don't think for in terms of inaccuracy um in terms of decision making and his results in chicago um that he's anything more than sort of a bottom end starter uh if another team wants to go out sign in of this offseason
1: Mitchell Trubisky is set to be a Buffalo Bills unrestricted free agent. Jameis Winston is set to be a New Orleans Saints unrestricted free agent. Winston is coming off a torn left ACL, but he did put up good numbers over seven games with the Saints in the 2021 regular season. What are your thoughts on Jameis Winston as a potential option for the commanders? Would he make sense for the commanders? I think so.
2: I think Winston is one of those low-risk potential bridge options If a team is going to go out and sign a guy to, to maybe a one-year deal um, and draft a quarterback. DeWitts is not going to change at this stage of career. He's not going to suddenly turn into a game manager. He's always been someone who, for us, has earned positive grades at one of the highest rates in the league and, and negative grades at one of the highest rates in the league. That's just sort of who he is. Um, but he at least pushes the ball down field and gives gives his guys chances to make plays, to pick up yardage. and. 20-yard chunks, Um, and I think like I was talking about with Russell Wilson a little bit, that's something that with the way Washington, where they ran their routes last year with guys who have some speed like McLaurin, like um, De'Anne Brown, like Curtis Samuel coming back, uh, I I think that makes sense for them uh, as sort of a a one-year option and then see where they're at.
1: I do want to get your thoughts on Taylor Heineke. So we as Commanders fans at this point get what Heineke's strengths and weaknesses are. His PFF numbers for the 2021 regular season were not good. He ranked just 31st out of 36 qualified quarterbacks and PFF passing grade. I'm just curious, though, in breaking down Heineke's 2021 season, did you come across anything that would suggest that Heineke has some upside, uh, that a second season for him as a starting quarterback, might be better than his first season as a starting quarterback? Or with Heineke, is it just that he is what he is and not much more? Yeah, I think he is what he is at this point. I
2: think that that playoff game against Tampa Bay might, might be the high point that you get from him. Um, and he had an opportunity to show what he could do over a larger sample. And there were just too many negatives uh, you saw from him last season, uh, especially the accuracy. He was one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the NFL, and that got even worse when you went 10 plus yards downfield, 20 plus yards downfield, um, which really hurt their offense and turnover really play rate was one of the, the worst in the league. Um, so I think there's just too many negatives there, even though he showed some of those plays where he can extend, extend the play, um, make something happen. Um, those were too far in the, too far, uh, between those plays and he just got too many negatives in there to, I think, be a viable starter moving forward.
1: One of the things that we've gotten into talking about with this commander's search for a franchise quarterback is aiming for upside. Uh, The idea that, especially off what we all just saw in the NFL playoffs, you really do need greatness at quarterback in today's NFL. Doing the thing where you have a middle-of-the-pack quarterback surrounded by talent can work, but the better approach is aiming for greatness. And so a quarterback-needy team like the commanders needs to be taking big swings until it connects on greatness at quarterback. Is that in fact the way that the commanders should be addressing quarterback?
2: Yeah, I think that's certainly true to an extent, um, because if you don't have a top five to 10 quarterback, you're not going to, to win year in and year out. You can have those spike years like we saw with San Francisco, with Jimmy Garoppolo, um, those can happen. If everything goes right around it, you stay healthy, he's in the right situation. Um, but if you're going to win consistently, you need to have a Patrick Mahomes. You need to have a Josh Allen, a Justin Herbert, a Joe Burrow. But one of these guys, um, I think that the dangerous thing you can get into is if you're just chasing that at all costs, is you can make deals like the Colts made last year for Carson Wentz, like the Panthers made for Sam Darnold, um, where you're trading for guys who might have upside. Uh, but there wasn't a lot there to to tell you that they're going to hit that upside. Um, So I think you do have to take risks, but you kind of have to be calculated about it and not just give up first and second round picks for guys who might be really good, but there's a pretty low chance of that happening. Uh,
1: As you know, there is no stopping the analytics revolution. The amount of data keeps growing. And so as someone who analyzes quarterbacks, what to you is the next frontier in quarterback analysis, what would you like to be able to better assess in the coming years that you can't assess as well as you want to right now?
2: Yeah, I think one area that's kind of kind of difficult to assess right now, and that would be valuable to have more information on, um, is sort of is sort of how you set protections, um, how you make your progressions. We do some of that as far as first read, set next read, um, checkdowns. Um, but I, I think sort of giving a little more clarity to that and sort of the internal process a quarterback is going through on a play, it, it's tough to do right now, but if we could get some more data on that, it um, would be really valuable in, in
1: terms of adding to what we don't know about quarterback play and the mental aspect of it. So many NFL teams now make use of pro football focus. Uh, Ron Rivera actually will reference pro football focus during his press conferences, I'm just curious, do NFL teams ever share stuff with Pro Football Focus? Like we know that PFF is uh, providing so much data to NFL teams. Do NFL teams ever give stuff to you guys so that you can better compile the data, you know, i.e. scheme information, player responsibility information, or is the stream of information uh, basically a one-way stream, i.e. stuff coming from Pro Football Focus to NFL teams?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's mostly um, that way right now. We do get some information from teams um, it, that sort of helps shape our, our grading process and feedback from players that help shape our grading process during the off season. Uh, but a, a lot of it is uh, they they sort of
1: pay for our data, um, our videos, stuff like that. Um, and it's more of a one way thing right now. But there is some feedback in, in terms of shaping our process. One more for you. How important is mobility for a quarterback in today's NFL? Like, If you are a quarterback-needy team like the Commanders, to what extent should mobility enter into your evaluations of quarterback options?
2: I think it's it's becoming increasingly important um, in terms of where the NFL is heading. You look at a lot of the young, elite quarterbacks in the NFL, they have some mobility. They can make plays when things break down, it just adds another aspect um, to your game where you're not as limited by the offense that you're in, the offensive line you're behind. Um, you can buy time to get wide receivers open. Uh, so I think that getting a guy who can do that is valuable. Um, obviously, you still have to be able to operate from a pocket and make progressions and, and make reads and deliver the ball accurately, but it raises the floor if you're able to, to escape pressure um, and make plays outside the structure. And I think teams are finding that more and more valuable.
1: Good stuff. Ben Lindsay, Pro Football Focus Analyst, the editor of the 2022 Pro Football Focus QB Annual, which you can find at pff.com. Ben, thanks so much for your time, man. All the best. Anytime. Thanks, man. Well, as we just talked about with Pro Football Focus analyst Ben Lindsay, uh, we as Commanders fans are desperate for a franchise quarterback. Desperation is a powerful thing. Uh, Desperation will make a person do extreme things, even crazy things. So we as Commanders fans are desperate for a franchise quarterback. We have not had a franchise quarterback in years. Depending on how you want to define a franchise quarterback, I would argue that our team has not had a franchise quarterback since Joe Theismann, and he hasn't played in an NFL game since 1985. And as we are desperate, so desperate for a franchise quarterback, and as the head coach of our Commanders, the commander of the Commanders, Rod Rivera, has made it crystal clear that the team is all in on getting a franchise quarterback this offseason. We are wanting and yearning, and lusting, maybe like never before, for a franchise quarterback for our team. And so we are doing some crazy things, like this Russell Wilson thing on Tuesday. Emerging on Tuesday was that Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson had changed his picture in his Twitter profile to a photo of himself in his high school football uniform while standing next to his dad. Uh, Russell Wilson, in case you don't know, went to high school in Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia is Commander's Territory. So Russell Wilson's picture in his Twitter profile is not of him in a Seahawks uniform. Russell Wilson's picture in his Twitter profile is of him in a Virginia high school football uniform. And people, of course, took this and ran with this. So what does this mean? What does this say? Is this another sign? That Russell Wilson wants to be traded to the Commanders. This is what we've been reduced to as Commanders fans. Trying to interpret changes to Twitter profile photos. Never mind that we're talking about a photo in a Twitter profile. Never mind that Russell Wilson's dad, Harrison Wilson, died of complications from diabetes in June 2010. And so maybe, just maybe, Russell Wilson was posting a nice photo of him and his late father. No, we as sick twisted, damaged Commanders fans had to make this Russell Wilson Twitter profile photo change a thing. What is wrong with us? What has happened to us? Uh, Well, actually, a lot has happened to us as fans of our team. And look, knowing what we know about problems that have existed between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, and knowing what we know about athletes and social media, I actually don't think that it's unreasonable to wonder If there is meaning to that Russell Wilson Twitter profile photo change beyond just him paying tribute to his dad. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to ponder. Then again, uh, we may look back at the Russell Wilson Twitter profile photo change and the Russell Wilson photo with Jonathan Allen. Uh, and their wives in the days leading up to the Pro Bowl and every other Russell Wilson commander's clue that we have dissected over the last few weeks and hang our heads in shame. Who knows? Uh, but this latest Russell Wilson stuff did get me to thinking about something. So a few weeks ago on the podcast, episode 246, I talked about the Russell Wilson situation with Joe Fan, who used to cover the Seahawks for NBC Sports Northwest. Uh, Joe was really good. One of the things that Joe Fan brought up as having been an issue for Wilson with the Seahawks was their offensive line, including a lack of offensive line spending. As you may recall, we first learned of Russell Wilson's potential unhappiness with the Seahawks on February 9th, 2021. Uh, Russell Wilson, on that day, on both the Dan Patrick show and in a Zoom press conference, said, That he was frustrated by how often he had been hit and sacked, though he did admit that he himself needed to get better and expressed a desire to be more involved in the Seahawks' personnel decisions. Well, with that as a backdrop, do you know what started on Tuesday? The window within which NFL teams can tag players, Uh, the window within which NFL teams can slap players with franchise and transition tags. Uh, NFL teams have from February 22nd until March 8th at 4 p.m. Eastern to slap tags on players. Uh, our team, the team now known as the Commanders, of course, in each of the last two off-seasons, has placed a non-exclusive franchise tag on Brandon Sheriff. Uh, our team will not be tagging Brandon Sheriff this off God help us if our team tags Brandon Sheriff for A third consecutive offseason. Although, know this if the team did tag Sheriff this offseason, Brandon Sheriff would have been tagged by the Redskins in 2020, the Washington football team in 2021, and the Commanders in 2022. Three consecutive offseasons hit with a tag by a singular franchise, but with three different names over those three offseasons. That is pretty unique if you think about it. But no, uh, please pretty please do not franchise tag Brandon Sheriff again uh and the team will not be franchise tagging Brandon Sheriff again I said a year ago at this time that I thought that Brandon Sheriff was as good as gone uh, once he hits free agency in the 2022 offseason I still feel this way I know that many of you listening feel this way Washington placing franchise tags on sheriff in back-to-back years served to reduce the team's leverage in negotiations with sheriff for a long-term contract and incentivized him to hit the open market as an unrestricted free agent in the 2022 offseason. This is precisely what happened between the Skins and Kirk Cousins off the Skins franchise tagging Kirky in back-to-back offseasons 2016 in 2017. And as we have seen many times in sports over the years, once you hit the open market, you are always more likely to leave your team than you are to stay with your team. Additionally, Brandon Sheriff plays a position guard uh, at which you can find quality players on the cheap. And Brandon Sheriff is hurt a lot. I mean, he to me is not worth the mega money long-term contract that he's seeking. Brandon Sheriff, over the last four regular seasons, 2018 through 2021, has missed a total of 22 games. The guy misses way too much time for someone wanting top-of-the-market money. However, all of that said, I do wonder about this. What if the Commanders did pull off a mega trade for Russell Wilson? What if somehow, someway, the commanders traded for Wilson. What if Russell Wilson waived his no trade clause and a trade was struck and that trade was between the Seattle Seahawks and the Washington commanders? If that happened, then I do think that all of a sudden the likelihood of the commanders re-signing Brandon Sheriff would shoot up. Now, it still probably would be more unlikely than likely, but that likelihood, which right now feels as if it's around like 2%, would jump to, I don't know, 25%, 35%, 45%, maybe 50%, maybe higher. The commanders trading for Russell Wilson would instantly make them not just a playoff contender, but an NFC championship game contender. The commanders would instantly become a win-now team. And so there would be some justification for re-signing Brandon Sheriff, especially given that the commanders do have the salary cap space to give Sheriff the mega-money long-term contract that he has been seeking. Uh, Even though to me, giving him top of the market money still would not be a good allocation of resources. Like just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do that something. I do not think that the commanders should give Brandon Sheriff a mega money long-term contract. But if the team did trade for Russell Wilson I could see the Commanders in that scenario going all in on the 2022 season and doing something like paying whatever it takes to re-sign Brandon Sheriff. I do think that part of the appeal for Russell Wilson to waive his no-trade clause for the Commanders would be the Commanders' offensive line. Understand the Seahawks have had offensive line issues for years. Uh, The Seahawks finished the 2021 regular season 15th. In the NFL in team pass block win rate for ESPN. Okay, 15th is middle of the pack. It's not terrible. But the Seahawks also finished the 2021 regular season just 28th in the NFL in team run block win rate for ESPN. Conversely, Washington finished the 2021 regular season 9th in the NFL in team pass block win rate for ESPN and number one in the NFL in team run block win rate per ESPN. As I talked about on this podcast as the season went on, as I have tweeted, Washington's offensive line in the 2021 regular season was really good despite all of the injury issues for the offensive line. Washington's offensive line ended up being terrific this past season. There's also this, the Seahawks are notoriously cheap with their offensive line. Now, Big money doesn't always equal big production, so you have to be careful with this stuff. But here are the Seahawks NFL rankings in offensive line spending per OverTheCap.com in each of the last seven seasons. And the reason that I'm looking at the last seven seasons is that uh, we have had seven seasons since the Seahawks won back-to-back NFC championships. The Seahawks won back-to-back NFC championships for the 2013 and 2014 seasons, and the Seahawks won Super Bowl 48 in February 2014. But we'll work backward here, okay? 2021, the Seahawks were just 22nd in the NFL in offensive line spending per OverTheCap.com. 2020, 26th. 2019, 15th. 2018, 26th. 2017, 26th. 2016 dead last 32nd, 2015 30th. So the Seahawks, despite having this franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson, have been 22nd or lower in the NFL in offensive line spending per OverTheCap.com in six of the last seven seasons. Now again, big money doesn't always equal big production. But if you're Russell Wilson and you are a franchise quarterback, and you are tired of being hit and sacked so much. And you see that your team basically never spends a lot on its offensive line. And then you see a team wanting you, yearning for you, lusting after you in the commanders with an offensive line that was among the best in the NFL in the 2021 regular season. And you see In this team, the Commanders, a team willing to spend big money to re-sign a Brandon Sheriff, well, might all of this compel you to seriously consider waiving your no-trade clause for the Commanders? Remember, Kevin Sheehan on his radio show on the Team 980 on February 7th said that Russell Wilson, per sources, wasn't against being traded to the commanders. So if you start with that and then throw in all of this offensive line stuff, well, is it really that implausible? Russell Wilson wanting to come to the commanders. So just some things to be thinking about. It may well be that this Russell Wilson Twitter profile photo change means nothing, okay? I mean, you almost feel silly for bringing it up, but if it does mean something, and if Russell Wilson being willing to waive his no trade clause for the commanders really is a possibility, then the offensive line card is a powerful card that the commanders can play. And it could result in that which right now seems highly improbable. The commanders re-signing Brandon Sheriff actually happening. All right. That will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 258, it will feature a special guest, former Redskins defensive back, Will Blackman. Uh, will played for the Skins for two seasons, 2015 and 2016. He was on the 2011 Super Bowl champion New York Giants. He now is the host of a podcast, Upsets and Underdogs, with Will Blackman. And I'm going to talk commanders with Will, who recently tweeted the following, quote, If Russell were to leave Seattle, the best team for him is right back home with the Commanders, end quote. Uh, That would be Russell as in Russell Wilson, so we'll talk about that, the Commanders quarterback search, the state of the Commanders, Will's time playing for the Skins, and more. Also on Thursday's show, all post-game games on Wednesday night for Virginia, and Virginia Tech. Huge game for the Cavaliers. They will host number seven Duke Wednesday night at seven. The Hokies will be at Georgia Tech Wednesday night at nine. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday.